Bikini Smith. In 2009, while going through a divorce, I decided to jump straight into entrepreneurship. In 2012, I lost my sister and asked myself, what legacy do I want to leave behind? Since then, I've become a serial entrepreneur, helping other women publish their books, produce their podcasts, and reach their big goals to walk in their greatness. I realized the importance of sharing our stories of resilience and how it can be another's guide to walk in a manner worthy of their calling. We are blessed to be a blessing. So get ready to be blessed with an inspiring testimony. Hey, Faith Walkers, thank you for joining us on the Walk in My Stilettos podcast, where we have conversations with amazing women that are letting us step into their shoes. I help women strengthen their resilience muscle, own their stories, and conquer their fears so they can reach their goals. I get inspired when I see another woman succeeding, but what interests me more is her backstory and her mindset on how she got there. So today's guest is about to bless us with her testimony, and since you're already here, you may as well subscribe. Today, we have Heather Chauvin. She's a leadership coach who helps ambitious, overwhelmed women conquer their fears and become leaders at home and at work. Drawing her professional experience as a social worker and her life experience raising three boys, Heather created a signature approach to help her clients create and enjoy sustainability profitability, and ease in business and in life. She is the host of the Mom in Control podcast, where she reveals her most vulnerable truths about womanhood, marriage, parenting, living through stage four cancer, and running a successful business without burning out. She's been featured on platforms such as Forbes, and she's also a TEDx speaker. So please welcome to the show, Heather Chauvin. Yay. Thank you so much, McKinney. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much for agreeing to come on and share your story of resilience with us. It's incredibly awkward when you hear somebody doing your introduction (laughs) and you're just sitting there like, it's so interesting, you know, talking about resilience and like all of the shit that you have to go through Mm -hmm. to become the person and people like, yeah, you're so awesome. Like you've done this and you do this. And it's like just this perfectly crafted bio and you're like... (laughs) Oh, if you only knew. If you only knew. (laughs) Exactly. But that's why we have these conversations because social media, you know, shows everybody's highlight reel. Mm -hmm. But when we hear, you know, the adversities that we've had to get through and how we've had to persevere in order to be resilient, you know, we're able to connect to each other and find some kind of inspiration from each other's stories. So I laugh when I read people's bios and I'm like, wow, that that's wow. <laughs> it's like, it's like mm-hmm. yeah, that's your highlight reel. <laughs> yes. Now yeah. we want to get behind the scenes. <laughs> the messy stuff that nobody yeah. wants to see. They want to look at it. They want to look at it like it's like a reality TV show, but they don't mm-hmm. actually, you know, it's like the commitment and devotion to becoming that woman that you want to be coming Heather. Yeah. That person. Right. I love Mm -hmm. it. I love it. So speaking of becoming, I like to start at the very beginning before we get to where you are presently as an icebreaker question. We'll we'll start there first. I like to ask you if you know what your name means. I believe that as women, we have all these different titles that we go by, but a title that's not given enough significance is our name because people say your name 94,000 times a day. If you're a mom, that's like 194,000 times a day. Mm-hmm. And every time they're saying your name, they're declaring that meaning to you. Mm-hmm. So I would love to know, Heather, do you know what your name means? 
No, <laughs> I really awesome. don't. I'm like, do you know what my name means? I know I was actually supposed to be named Stephanie and my mother oh. chose Heather for some reason, but I have no idea what actual Heather means. So I Googled it and obviously, you know, names can have different meanings in different cultures or things like mm. that. So when I Googled it, um, Heather was derived from a flowering evergreen plant that thrives in Scotland. Yes. It's popular in the Christian religion and it signifies there again a flower associated with Scotland. Interesting. Interesting. I've seen okay. Heather plants, Heather flowers, just did not know it was Scottish. A flower. Oh. Yeah. Beautiful flower. Love so, it. <laughs> so tell us, Heather, what did you want to be when you were a little girl? I really don't know. Now I'm just thinking about flowers. I'm like, oh my gosh, <laughs> my life is like one of those weeds in cement. So it's like this Heather flower just growing with no soil, no sunlight, no anything. Um, oh, wow. Making it happen, just like breaking through that concrete. But yes. as a child, I really, this is the interesting part because who I am today, like motherhood cracked me open. Mm-hmm. And I talk a lot about like becoming and alignment and all of that, but I did not know how to live previous to becoming a mother. Mm. Like as a child, you know, looking back and of course we all experience trauma in our lives, but looking back, I, you know, someone's like, Oh, tell me about those happy memories when you were a child. And I didn't have that feeling as a child. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And as a teen, I was depressed. I was suicidal. I had very low energy. I had no passion. I couldn't get out of bed. Sleep was my drug. Didn't drink, didn't do recreational drugs, but I just chose sleep as my drug for some mm-hmm. reason. Mm-hmm. And, but as a small child, I didn't know what I wanted to be. But now as an adult, I, you know, the things that I enjoy and what helps me come alive, like what makes me feel alive and where I feel aligned, there was, there was sparks of that in my childhood. Wow. You know, it's interesting that you say that because now that I'm dealing with therapy and I'm learning, especially through a lot of my clients, how with childhood traumas, we block things out. You know, we have blank moments where we either don't remember parts of our childhood because of the traumas or we're not able to tap into those, you know, happy memories. But the reason I asked that original question is because as people, we think in pictures. And, you know, when we look at the things that we want to do or we want to be or what's possible, that stems from our fantasies, you know, the mm. things that we can picture, our vision. And as kids, our imagination and the things that we fantasize about is so vivid and so broad. But as we get older, society and family and people around us and our environments kind of limit our beliefs, um, mm-hmm. not only in what's possible, but you know who we want to become. And because all of you women inspire me in some way, because you are taking your resilience and you're still using that to inspire other people, I find it interesting to hear what you wanted to be as Mm. as little girls. Well, I can tell you what I wanted to have. I wanted to have the sense of family. I wanted Mm. to have the sense of safety. I wanted to have the sense of belonging, which is interesting because now in my work, I always Mm. ask people, how do you want to feel? 
Mm -hmm. right? They come to me with pain points in their parenting, pain points in the work they're doing in the world, in their mind, in their emotional health. Um, And they just want to feel aligned, whether that's changing something on the outside, but really it's doing the inner work. And, you know, people are like, Heather, you've been able to create this safe container of space, of community, of non-judgment. And these women And I'm like, I just wanted to feel like I belonged. And so it's Mm -hmm. interesting how what we want as a child or in our past life, we create in our current life, right? We're always giving what we want to receive. So yeah, looking back, it's like, what did I, it wasn't so much of who I wanted to become. I did not know that, but I knew the feeling that I craved and I've, I've created that. Yeah, I was just about to say, it's like you answered my next question because I was going to ask you, how did you get into coaching? Mm-hmm. But like you said, you created what you wanted to have. You created this environment of safety. You created this environment, this safe space of belonging. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the interesting part with that is I knew, so early on, I did not know what I wanted to do. I didn't know how, I had no intention of going to university. Um, it was kind of known that I was just not going to succeed. You know, if I went to college, you know, that was a check mark, but it definitely wasn't expected of me. It wasn't pushed upon me. And it was kind of like, eh, she's going to make it where, where she is. I grew up in like a blue collar family. My father was an entrepreneur. My mom worked in a factory and it was, it was just this like, you'll figure your way out. But post-secondary education was never pushed upon. And then after I became a mom and I looked at my son and I just remember thinking, I was 18 when I had him, by the way, I remember looking at him thinking, I need to become the person I most desire you to be. Mm -hmm. And so going to school, I knew I enjoyed helping people. And so that's when I fell into social work. But moving from social work to coaching was an interesting bridge because I worked in a traditional setting and I talk about this in my book. And I think this goes back to, you know, being a child as well, but I worked with families like high risk families. And I would Mm -hmm. see these children in my field of social work where I'm front lines and I'm helping these people and these families and feeling like I'm contributing more to the problem and more to the system than actually being the change that I wanted to see. And these children were so misunderstood, right? Their behaviors were being labeled and diagnosed. And I'm like, but you're not giving any tools. You're not Mm -hmm. giving any strategy. You're not, they're screaming at you for help, but they're Mm -hmm. saying this through their behavior. And that's when my, my soul and my insides and my guts were just screaming at me saying, not this, not this, not this. And that was terrifying because, you know, when you check all the boxes and you climb the ladders and you get the education and you do as you're told, right? Because that's, Mm -hmm. I thought, okay, from teen mom to now I'll just do what I'm told. And I did all those things and I'm like, I got the job that everybody wanted. Why do I still feel like I'm failing? Why Mm -hmm. does this feel out of alignment? So that's when I started to explore coaching and I'm just so grateful. I, I remember. The, the funnel, right? The mm-hmm. funnel. And I went, I, it was a Facebook ads before Facebook ads were cool. And this woman was talking about business and she was wearing like ripped jeans. And I was like, oh, I want that in my life. I want to be able to like talk about business or like making an impact, even though I did had no interest in, in mm-hmm. business. And I want to be wearing ripped jeans, which represented, I want to be myself. 
and yeah, and the rest mm-hmm. is history. I get it. I get it completely. And see, that's the beauty in our stories because we can hear another woman's story and either recognize a piece of our story, a piece of ourselves in that that story that makes us think back to our similar experiences. And I'm listening to you and I'm like, wow, you know, I was a teen mother as well. Had my daughter at my, my first child at 17. And I remember everybody telling me, well, your life is over. You know, now you're going to be, you know, living off of welfare and you're going to be this and you're going to be that and projecting all of their fears on me. And I was dead set. I was like, nope, I am not going to be a statistic. I am going to be a valuable contributing member to society. And, mm-hmm. you know, that pushed me to want to do differently. And as you mm-hmm. speak about the coaching stuff, I'm thinking when I became a coach, when I got certified, I looked around and I was like, I don't really see someone that represents me per mm-hmm. se. Um, not Not only a black woman who is teaching the whole thought leadership, you know, my mentor, Bob Proctor, everything that he talks about, a majority of the coaches, when I go to our training sessions, there's probably 1%, I'm going to say, that are black, you know, and then I'm covered in tattoos, and I like to wear casual wear. So it's like, that image that people see of what a coach could be or someone that's making an impact or what they're doing. So I love mm-hmm. that you, you know, touched on all those points because it just like triggered all of these emotions and feelings within me. Mm. Yeah. Cause you, you allow others to be seen, right. Mm-hmm. Representation is so important and mm-hmm. still a ways to go, but it's, it's like when you're sitting there feeling alone, you just feel that connection and belonging. You're like, okay, you get me, mm-hmm. you get me. So mm-hmm. You know, the more work that I do, the more I realize there's no such thing as competition. You can have the, I'm going to say the exact same message and I'm using air quotes, but you can't really have the exact same message as somebody else. You can't, you're not selling the same product, even if you're selling the exact same product, you're selling Mm -hmm. your story, you're selling your, your soul, your align, you know, your unique experience. But if everybody just stepped into that and Mm -hmm. stopped trying to sabotage it, people would be like, oh, okay, you, 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 you. And we would just have this sense of belonging. I feel like we have to stop hiding and stop pretending that the world doesn't need us. Absolutely. And and I love when you said you don't believe in the competition and that we could all be the same, but not the same. For example, you and I both have a podcast. You and I both help women to conquer their fears. You, you know, we have all of these similarities, but we're mm-hmm. not in competition. Mm-hmm. And one person out there listening could we could both say the exact same thing, but it may resonate with one person differently. And that's who you're meant to minister to. That's who you're meant to serve, connect. You know what I mean? Like there's no competition at all. Yeah. I love yeah. that. So Tell us, what inspired you to write your new book, Dying to Be a Good Mother? Well, it was actually the title of my TEDx talk, which is called Dying to Be a Good Mother. And seven years ago, I was diagnosed with a stage four cancer. And as I was building my business, uh, being a mom, the my youngest um, was a year old. And I was doing, again, I fell into that trap right? I was doing everything I was supposed to do to equal success because I did not want to fail. 
did mm-hmm. not want to fail as a mother, did not want to fail as a statistic. Like that was my thing. Like you cannot be a statistic. So I knew how to take action. I knew how to hustle. And I also brought my coping strategies, which were sleep and not giving anything to myself and over giving to other people. And I was building my coaching business, but I was depleted. I was chronically exhausted. My abdomen started swelling and it just got to the point where I couldn't um, avoid it anymore. And I remember going into the hospital and they did a CT on my abdomen and blood work. And immediately, like not instantly, but that evening said, Heather, you have cancer. We just have no idea what kind it is, but based on your age, you know, the CT, there's tumors all over your abdomen. And the interesting part was I knew like, you know, when you get that confirmation, like someone told you something, you're like, you just confirmed something for me. Mm -hmm. That's what it was. Like I knew I was sick and I knew I had cancer. I knew it. Um, And I remember walking out of the hospital that night and this was actually around this time, seven years ago, it was December 21st. So when we're recording this around, um, I remember looking up and it wasn't snowing outside, which is, you know, where we live is typically snowing around Christmas, but who knows? Cause we haven't received any (laughs) snow yet either uh, or a little bit, but it was raining. It was raining. And I just remember walking out of the hospital super slow. Like everything was like slow motion. And I looked up and I just remember saying, you finally have my attention. Like Mm. you finally have my attention. And I could just feel the rain like washing away. And my husband's like, are you coming? Cause I was just standing there and he's walking to the car and I'm just walking very slow. And I'm like, I'm listening. I'm listening. I'm listening. And it was like all of these things that I knew that I wanted, that I desired were there, Mm -hmm. but I wasn't giving myself permission to live. So dying to be a good mother is, is really how I dug deeper into, I dropped the guilt. Like, why did I feel so guilty? Why was I afraid? And I started looking at all of these things and redesigning my life based on how I wanted to feel. And the interesting part was as I started to reverse engineer, okay, how do you want to feel? What does that look like? The more alive I became, the lighter I felt, the more energy I had, right? I'm nourishing myself. I'm moving my body. I'm like bringing myself back to life, knew how to feel in control of my big emotions, knew how to manage my children's behaviors. All of a sudden their behaviors changed. Why? Because my energy changed and Mm -hmm. I could be more present and I wasn't being reactive. I was being proactive. And I started like breaking these generational patterns with my energy, Mm -hmm. with my time, with my money, with my, all of it. And then realizing like, why do we have to die as women cutting off parts of ourselves, our desires, our wants, our needs, because the world is telling us we need to give, 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 and never receive. And I just don't stand for that anymore. Wow. I have goosebumps right now. And for those who are regular listeners of the podcast, they know when I have goosebumps, that is like my, my spirit is definitely telling me something. Um, thank you for sharing that. And, you know, I'm sorry that you had to experience that, you know, dealing with cancer, I can't even imagine, especially as a mom and and how that affects your life. But you just shared how you've 
been able to beautifully shift that perspective and use that as permission to live and to change the generational patterns in your family, in your legacy, and to stop listening to the world and learning to put you first and to take Mm -hmm. care of you. I've had a few women that have come on the podcast that have experienced different stages of cancer, but their bravery and how they share their story, just like yours, to help continue to inspire others. I had a woman by the name of Monique Bryan who made her enti- her entire cancer journey. She shared online. It was like, she, I think she called it Surprise It's Cancer. She did a blog that was her social media pages and helped people go through that journey with her. So you know, anyone who may be experiencing it or experience it afterward could know what to expect or not feel alone. There's a, a woman by the name of Faith Walker, and I'm going to try not to cry as I, I speak of her. Um, her story of cancer, I, I won't even do it any justice trying to, to give a synopsis of it, but she has gone over 15 years, uh, stage five, mystestic cancer, like all the levels she's dealing with chemo again right now, but how she continues every day to continue to inspire and share her story of resilience. So I guess what I'm trying to say is you, Heather, you don't realize how much of an impact that you are making to not just cancer survivors, but to other people to be able to take something like that, that could be traumatic or some people would give up or lose faith, but you've been able to flip the script and to make it more of a positive narrative, not only for yourself, but to change generationally how that makes an impact, you know, how you, you've been able to change yourself Mm. to affect your children, how you've been able to change your, your perspective to affect the people that are connected to you, family, friends, social media, the people that you serve, me listening to you right now. You don't realize how much your strength and resilience impacts someone you've never met. (laughs) Mm. Thank you. Yeah, wow. I think I think we do underestimate. I definitely um, we underestimate the impact we have just by showing up. And what right. I've seen again and again, and what I keep learning is, it's not about doing for others. It's it's truly not about fixing or rescuing or controlling, right? Our children, our partners, our clients the world, our friends, our family, and taking on their burden, it, the more I learn and dig deeper, it's like, become like mm-hmm. your strength and your resilience and, and share. Mm-hmm. And when we're sharing our stories, but when we're also sharing like a little bit of how did you do that? Like, you know, the mental strength or like, how did you move through that? Mm-hmm. it's you're giving somebody else like the tools of like, not only can you do this, like I did it, I'm living proof, right? but come on, you can do this. And I think there's multiple things that I had to go through and cancer was like the marathon, mm-hmm. but I didn't have a choice. And I think that's almost, that's the, the contrast, right? Like 
I think as women, we know what we want. I think as humans, we know what we want. Even if you say, I don't know, um, we know what we don't want. And we Mm -hmm. just have to keep pulling back the layers and saying like, what's the breadcrumb? Like, what's the little thing that's going to lead me to the next thing? And I was just backed into a corner and it was like, you don't get to say yes or no. Like no is death. Yes is living. And you just have to say yes and keep figuring out how to feel alive, keep figuring out how to feel energized, keep figuring out how you're going to pay the bills. And Mm -hmm. the alternative is not even an option. So get it out of your head, Heather. Like just stop Mm -hmm. because that is death and your children will not have a mother. And if that's what you want, you get to entertain those thoughts. But if that's not what you don't want, you don't even put any energy or attention there. And so it was just laser focus because my determination was I needed to survive and people, and I didn't just want to survive. I wanted to thrive. I wanted to Mm -hmm. live a good life. And a lot of people would be like, you're a survivor. And I don't even like, I mean, the book is based on my journey, but it's not all about cancer. Mm -hmm. And I don't even, it's part of my story. It's, it's, you know, made me who I am today, but I tell people like, I, you don't need to call me a cancer survivor. I'm like, what happens to the people that quote unquote haven't survived? Does that mean they failed? I'm like, Mm. listen, I have so many women in my life that I've lost to cancer who lived like every last drop and made such an impact. And if my last day is today or it's 10 years from now or 50 years from now, we truly do not know how much life we have left in us. We do not know. Right. And I think we need to get our heads out of our asses and realize <laughs> that why with the time you have left, are you focusing your energy and attention on what you don't have and why you can't do something? Right. Or are you willing to say, I'm going to try, it's going to be uncomfortable. I'm going to fail again and again and again and again, but I am determined to figure out how to feel alive. And, um, yeah, I feel I at this point in my life, I've made a commitment to that, not only for myself. Um, I mean, it's so much easier for women to show up for everybody else. But having a community behind me and my boys that are looking at me and I'm like, you will never know what it feels like to have a disempowered woman living in your house because I am not going to be that person for you. Wow. When you spoke to just the the power in just showing up, I think that Women underestimate that. You know, they think when they show up, they have to do all of these things. But I, I can relate with you in a sense where my entire journey of resilience has just been about me showing up. Whether it be showing up for my kids, whether it be showing up for myself, whether it be showing up for the people in my community. You know, I gave an example on the one year anniversary of the podcast where. I had that year I started the podcast, I had three cancer scares. So the cervical cancer, um, the laser surgery was unsuccessful. Then they found cysts in my uterus that were causing all kinds of problems. I had a hysterectomy, had health issues. Then they thought that I had colon cancer and realized that it was something else. So it was a nightmare. But every single week, I still did interviews. I put out a podcast. I showed up not only in my household, but I showed up online. I showed up for my clients and I showed up every week and still put out podcasts. And people had no idea until I talked about it on the one year anniversary. But it wasn't about me per se. Mm. It was about showing up. And 
the showing up empowered me. It empowered them. So when you spoke about, you know, our, our stories can be someone else's tools. You know, I say this all the time is our stories may be about us, but they're not for us. Yeah. So your story that you share, your journey that you share can be someone else's survival guide. Someone that hasn't yet quite discovered their inner voice to speak for themselves, Mm. but they're hearing yours and feeling empowered because of it. You know, you spoke to feeling like you had no choice, but then realizing that you had a choice in how you dealt with it. And where you said saying no meant death and yes meant living, you chose living Mm -hmm. and you focused on living purposefully so that you could show up for yourself and your children and your household and the people that you're connected to. You had the choice and you chose to continue to try and to push forward. And if I hadn't read that in part in your bio, I would have not had a a clue that you had stage four cancer. You know, I I see you showing up online and you have your podcast and all the things that you're doing and your book is coming out. So people don't realize just in showing up the great impact that we can, can make. Mm -hmm. You've definitely shared with us how living through stage four cancer has changed you. So how I'm going to ask, how has the pandemic changed you? That's interesting because in March, when this was going down or when you could feel it coming, right? It's like Mm -hmm. you knew it was coming, like this wave. You're like, okay, this one's going down. This one's going down. It was deja vu. And I was like, I've been here before. I felt this. It felt like I was going through chemo again Mm. um, with the isolation. But I, I could feel myself doing what I always do, which is, you know, shit's going to hit the fan. And I'm like, let's go like rise. Like let's, I'm like, bring it. Like Mm -hmm. I'm just like, (laughs) you know, like I, you know, the wall, like the armor that goes up, which is Mm -hmm. like a defense mechanism, but like in a, I guess it's a good coping strategy, right? It's like, somebody's going to like beat up your friend and, you know, you get all mama bear on them or something or your children and you're like, don't talk to them that way. Like, that's how Mm -hmm. I could feel it. And I was like, Mm -hmm. we got this, we can do this. And then it just broke me down slowly. And I would feel, I feel like I was more prepared for it financially, mentally, physically, emotionally, because I had to do so much recovery and repair in the last seven years. So going through treatment, it like our money stuff clearly came up and I, you know, had to work through that. And I was like, we need to create sustainability. We need to have an emergency fund, Um, you know, creating a profitable business online. Like it just, you could see the positive effects of Mm -hmm. everything that I teach, but also the work that I was doing in the last seven years kind of paid off. But the one thing that I would say, the big lesson that I've been learning is that I cannot rescue anybody. Like, I would say that I'm a recovering rescuer and, you know, children will always teach you what you need to learn. And my oldest is now becoming a teenager. So he just flat out, like called me out on my stuff. And which is great because we have this relationship where Mm -hmm. where you're like, Oh, thank you so much for having, being so mindful and aware and calling me out. Um, (laughs) You're like, Oh, I hate it. But it's true. He's like, I'm becoming an adult. I'm almost 16 years old. I'm going to go out in the world. I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to 
eat things that you don't want me eating and like you can't control me anymore. Mm-hmm. And I just coming to this realization, even though I knew it was going to come that, yeah, I can't, right? So I have to turn the mirror back on myself. But the rescuing of watching my clients really, some of them really struggle and my community really struggling and saying, like, I don't have the answer for you. I, I, because nobody knows what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And this is when you just have to step into the space of faith and asking yourself, like, how do I want to feel? Mm-hmm. And, and showing up and doing your best. And then I, you know, I would see women on the other side who are like, oh my gosh, I'm so grateful for this, but watching people drowned um, emotionally, not literally mm-hmm. drowned and, and just feeling like you can't grab them. Um, I had to sit with that and be like, I'm here, but I cannot do the work for you. I would say that has been the biggest lesson for me during this time. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So what inspires you the most about what you do? How do you stay motivated within that? Mm, Wow. I'm going to get emotional. I'm like, why did that make me emotional? That's interesting. I have no idea. Maybe because you're such a good interview. (laughs) I'm just like, wow. Shove those feelings down. Put those back in the cave. Um, The feelings are welcome here. We're criers over here. I love it. It just came up and I was like, Ooh, what's that? Yesterday I was doing this. I I love woo woo stuff. I love energy healing. I love like all of it. Mm -hmm. And I will tell you this yesterday I was doing a hypnotherapy session. And so oftentimes when I'm up leveling in any area of my life, I not only do I have coaches and supports, um, but I just really believe in the subconscious work and we were doing this hypnotherapy session. She's guiding me through like a forest, random weird stuff that we're looking at. And I start crying because I could see myself climbing and I'm like, Ooh, here it comes again. These emotions. I could see myself climbing this ladder. And it was the first time where I could see a whole bunch of ladders next to me where women were climbing the ladder, but I wasn't pulling them. And this was the letting go of what I know so many women carry the burden of, which is the fear of leaving people behind, mm-hmm. the fear of, you know, like, what if I, it's like leaving the tribe or something. Like, there is some instinctual, primal thing to it. But we're so good at like nurturing other people. But it was like, a full embodiment of me nurturing myself and other people being inspired by it and saying, I want what you want. I'm just going to learn and be mentored by you and watch you and grow. And all I have to do is just become my best, lightest, most fulfilled self and just be that role model and say, you can do this too. But this time I wasn't caring other people and letting that go is huge for me. And I'm sure it will come up again, but that is what inspires me now is knowing that every time I work on myself, meaning, and it doesn't need to be from a broken place. It's just, how can I do that one degree better? How can I just show up? You know, like you were saying about showing up, even when, you know, things are happening in the background, it's like, how can I just, how can I just push the envelope a little bit here? How can I rest more? How can I you know, be kinder to myself? How can I go for bigger dreams? I know that when I'm doing that for myself, somewhere, something bigger, universe, source, whatever, is 
putting people in my life who just needed me to show up that way. And I really don't have to do anything else. Of course, mm-hmm. I can host the the trainings and give the resources and write the book and do all that. But I just need to speak and talk and be myself. And it inspires me knowing that just showing up that way, when I'm unattached to who it inspires, that's that's why I do it. Just this greater pull that's guiding me that will not leave me alone. <laughs> wow. Goosebumps again. Yay. <laughs> that's that's my spiritual side talking to me. You know, I love how you said that you love doing the subconscious work. Mm-hmm. And people, I feel, are not a, as aware as they should be of the importance of the subconscious work. Because, and for anyone who, you know, isn't familiar, but like the conscious part of your mind, that's your thinking mind. But your subconscious, that's the feeling mind. that And that has the most amount of power because your subconscious mind can't tell the difference between fact or fiction. So it doesn't know what's real or what's not. So whatever you are feeding into your subconscious mind, it is feeling that. And to that, that is the reality that is happening in your head. And I love doing vis- visualization work with people because... It's getting you to not only tap into their subconscious and their feelings, but it's things that you can bring to life and manifest quicker if you tap into that. So when you said that you were visualizing the ladder and you visualize, and I was closing my eyes listening to you, you visualize the other ladders around you with other women climbing up at the same time. That vision that you have, when you hold on to that, that's what you manifest, right? So around you, without forcing it or trying hard, you have that vision of Mm -hmm. empowering other women just by you climbing that ladder, just by you showing up. Mm. So you are now manifesting the women around you and you're encouraging the women around you visually because we have to see things first in the spiritual before we can see them happen in the natural. So you've seen it happening. So you were bringing that forth to life. So I love, like, that's where my goosebumps just came from. I love that we're manifesting this together. Yes. And you're just like, bring it in. I'm like, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, I actually, something I'm going to be doing in a workshop in January, but also Dr. Joe Dispenza talks about it. And I know a whole bunch of other people is the future self video. Mm-hmm. Have mm-hmm. you ever heard of this? Yes. Yeah. I, it's like, the vision board, but Mm -hmm. I'm like, we're always on our phones. So creating that, like, what do you want this year to look like? Mm -hmm. And just visualizing that putting music to it and listening to it and watching it every single day. So that's something I'm going to be implementing, but it, I didn't, you know, you've, you hear about the subconscious and you're talking about Bob Proctor and he was one of my I wouldn't say he was one of my mentors. He definitely wasn't, but he was probably one of the first people, right? Like I watched Mm -hmm. uh, The Secret. He was in The Secret, right? Yep, yep. Okay, so, you know, you drink The Secret Kool-Aid and then Mm -hmm. you forget that, (laughs) you know, the actions strategy, right? Like everyone did that. They're like, oh my God, I'm just going to visualize and and whatever. And I forgot the action part. Like nobody talked about that. Mm -hmm. And and then that's where I believe the magic happens is when you're taking action. action. That's when all your all your crap comes up, all your resistance, all your subconscious. But then you get to work on it. You don't need to talk about it for 10 years, right? Like right. work through it. Right. So, but he was one of the first people that's like talking about um, you know, think and grow rich and visualization. And mm-hmm. 
when you like, I've been practicing this for like 15 freaking years and I'm mm-hmm. still th- getting it. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's a daily practice, but understand yeah. if you focus on what you want, yes, those women, that visual comes and they're like, oh, I want to do the work. I'm ready to do the work. I don't need you to wipe my ass and hold my hand. Like Mm -hmm. I'm ready to not be the victim in my life. I want to be empowered. I want to stand in my power. And that is what the world needs. More empowered women. We don't need to be, we can be angry and frustrated. We can do all those things, but we, we definitely can't burn out or die because the world needs us powerful and as light as possible. Um, and of course, in order to do that, we gotta, we gotta sift through some, some stuff that's not even ours that we're carrying. Mm-hmm. Yep. Generational baggage. Yes. Mm-hmm. Ooh, goosebumps again. <laughs> I love, I feel you. like I am, I feel like <laughs> I'm, I'm like, yes, I'm so competitive. <laughs> I'm like, yes, three goosebumps. <laughs> We're so aligned because there's so many different conversations I want to unpack here. And I'm like, oh, this episode's going to be like way too long. Yeah. <laughs> yeah Make it I'm, an audio I'm, book or something. <laughs> like, I'm going to have to have you on again because there's so many things that I want to unpack, even with the future self stuff and the visualization. So we'll we'll definitely have to do a part two to this episode. But and maybe I want to know my podcast. Uh, there we you go. Continue it over there. There you go. See, I'd love that. Thank you. <laughs> So with everything that you're doing as a mom and as someone who has lived through stage four cancer and someone who is out here empowering and doing all of the things, how does Heather take care of Heather? What does your self-care routine look like? Mm. So self-care, the word, the term has become like so popular. People, of course, like think Mm -hmm. it's manicures and pedicures and then say, well, I can't do that because you know, we're in lockdown or whatever. I actually like to call it a self respect routine. Mm. And that has been recent for me, this mental shift, because this year in 2020, it was fuel and movement, food and fitness. Mm. But I resisted it so much. I was like, you're buying into diet culture. You're doing like, you know, all the BS we've been sold as Mm -hmm. women of who we need to be and what our bodies need to look like. But I kept saying to myself, you do not feel in a line, like in alignment in your body. So how I'm fueling my body and how I'm moving my body and how I'm respecting my body. Um, and then I just ask myself, like, how do you want to feel? So, you know, having limitations of where you can go, what you can do. I love just being outside. That used to annoy me. I didn't understand how why, <laughs> how people could get, you know, entertainment uh, from walking. Like, I'm right. like, why are you walking? You should be running. <laughs> you should be training. Like, you know, the all or nothing mentality, right? Like, that is so boring. So boring. <laughs> but I love, I love just being in nature. Now my kids hate it. They're like, why are you doing this to me? And then they come mm-hmm. back and they're like, oh, I feel so great. And I'm like, see? So just not spending time in front of the computer on my screen. I love, yeah, nature, moving my body, food, being ridiculous. Like I'm so inappropriate. I probably, you know, <laughs> you gotta have my, a sense of humor to make yeah. you like <laughs> to be resilient. <laughs> yeah. The, some of the conversations me and my boys have, I'm just like, that's not normal. Like for a parent <laughs> to say, and I'm like, you just got to keep it light. So I just try to have fun. I try to be inappropriate when I can. I push the envelope on everything. 
And I just annoy people. I annoy my family to shits because they're just, you know, afraid and want to be in this box. And I'm just like, you know, if you just think differently and they're like, shut up, Heather. So, um, <laughs> do you know Enneagrams? Um, I've, okay. I've heard of it. Okay. So Enneagrams, I'm an eight. I'm not obsessed with it, but I've been told I'm an eight, which is a challenger. Okay. <laughs> so I'm like, okay. I'm sorry, everybody. I'm just a challenger. It's, it's in my DNA. It's, it's my personality. <laughs> so I'm here to push the envelope and, um, I just try to live my life like that. I love it. I, lo- I love all of it. Again, so many things I want to unpack, but I'm like, <laughs> uh, we're out of time. Okay. <laughs> so before we go to the final segment of the show, I want you to tell the people where they can stay connected with you online so they can learn more about Heather. Yeah. So I too talk inappropriately, use F-bombs <laughs> um, and just get real with motherhood, but also giving you wisdom and strategy on my podcast. So mom, mom is in control. Um, the book, depending on when this goes out, but everything is on my website. So just go to my name, Heather Chauvin, spelled C-H-A-U-V-I-N.com. And you can find me on Instagram, same at Heather Chauvin. Um, and I'm a real human, believe it or not. So you can <laughs> send me a message on Instagram and I will reply. I will awesome. reply. Yeah. Awesome. So I will definitely have your links in the details section below your episode so they can just click and connect with you directly. They won't have to search too far. Thank you so much. This has been an amazing conversation. You're welcome. You're welcome. For the final segment of the show, I just ask a couple of quick reflection questions. It's almost like a rapid fire. You say the first thing that comes to mind, whether it's one word or one sentence. Okay. You never right. know what's going to come out. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So if you could have a gigantic billboard anywhere with anything on it, what would it say and why? You are worthy. Stop seeking permission. Perfect. Love it. Name a book that has changed or greatly impacted your life. Um, the first one that comes to my mind is the leader who had no title, which is with Robin Sharma. Is that his Mm -hmm. name? I don't know why, but mainly it was just this every day. It's a fable around this guy in a bookstore who wasn't important, but made a huge impact in the world. And it just, I don't know why, but it really hit me about leadership and we don't need to have a special title to make an impact. Love it. Name a new belief, behavior, or habit that has improved your life in the last five years. The better I feel, the more the bigger impact I make. Love it. What have you become better at saying no to in the last five years? And that could be distractions, invitations, family. I would say, to be honest, um, especially during the pandemic, of course, you can use no as the excuse, right? Pandemic. But this is recent is saying no thank you to invitations for coffee or meetups, not because I don't have the capacity, but because I generally don't even want to connect with that person. So I try, I I can, I'm like, you know what? I don't see a win-win here. And it feels like you're going to take energy from me and there's not going to be receiving. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I, I've really shifted into not doing things from a place of obligation anymore. And last but not least, 
What do you wish women would do more of? Invest in themselves. Love it. Mm -hmm. And I want to ping off of that. Mm -hmm. I believe that not everyone has equal access to resources. Mm -hmm. But I believe we have access to more than we give ourselves credit for. And when I say invest, I mean time and energy first. Right. And um, money, when we can get into a how can I attitude, there are so many possibilities. And I've had women that have said, I can't afford to work with you. And I said, but if you come to me with a how can I attitude, your life will change. And right. I've watched, I've watched them do it. So it takes, it's going to take a village. It's definitely going to take a lot of mindset shifts, but I just wish women would give themselves permission more to be able to invest in themselves because they are worthy of the time, the energy and resources. I love it on so many levels and there's so much I want to unpack there and I'm like biting my tongue. (laughs) Yeah, I would love, I mean, I could just talk to you forever and I'm like, we need to continue this conversation because yeah. There's a lot. Definitely. Definitely. I would love your opinion. Yeah, there will, there will definitely be a part two. Like, thank you so much, Heather, for your transparency. Thank you for sharing your heart and soul with us today. I know I truly appreciate you. And I know that all the women who are listening appreciate you. So thank you. Mm, thank you, McKinney. And to all of you faith walkers out there, until next time, subscribe on all platforms and don't forget to rate the show and leave us a review on Apple Podcast. Feel free to join the community of faith walkers and you can sign up for our weekly newsletter at awalkamyblettos.com or you can grab one of my personal development books available online everywhere. And if you could think of, and I'm challenging you to at least three, if you could think of three women that would receive value from Heather's story today, please share it with them. Please share her testimony and be sure to screenshot this week's episode and you can tag us on Instagram. You can tag her at Heather Chauvin and you can tag myself at The Real McKinney Smith and continue to walk in greatness in your stilettos in a manner worthy of your calling. <laughs>